Well, uh, last week, we, uh, we did something a little bit different. We decided to open up the new year by doing a cannonball into the book of Leviticus. And uh, no one complained enough about the splash from that. And so today, we're going, to be, we're going to continue swimming in the book of Leviticus. So you can go ahead and start opening up your Bibles that direction there. So everybody open up the book of Leviticus. And we're going to be in chapter 26. And we've been going through Leviticus, uh, actually not anymore, but just the uh, last couple of months, uh, we've been going through Exodus and Leviticus, and that's kind of what prompted me to, to kind of rekindle this love and passion for this particular book of Scripture. It's the ancient words, and sometimes we think they're so ancient that they're no longer applicable. We look at it as being the old covenant, you know, part of the, it's the old operating system. It doesn't apply to us as New Testament believers, but as we talked about last week, uh, all scripture is inspired for God, or inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching. Even for those at the end of the days, it is good for our instruction and in that it gives us hope. And we looked in Leviticus 9 last week, and it said, what is, what is that hope? What is the hope of the Israelites? And their hope was to be able to be in the presence of a holy God, to be able to see his glory. And like you said to, to Moses, to be able to experience his glory and to see his goodness pass in front of him. But to, to steal one of those internet memes, I'm going to do it the best I can, one does not simply walk into the presence of God, Right? Some of you will catch on to that. Lord of the Rings fans here, anybody? Uh, two? Uh, two? Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, a couple of you got that. One does not merely walk into the presence of a holy God. You can't do it. The na our natures are incompatible. They're incompatible like electricity in us. There's a certain set of rules that guide how we approach electricity so its nature does not kill our nature or us and the sun. They're incompatible. We cannot approach uh, without our lives being in danger, and God's holiness and our sinfulness are at odds, and it means our destruction if we don't follow those specific set of rules when we approach a holy God. And Leviticus is a set of rules that were put in place to help Israel as sinners, just like we are, witness the glory and power of a holy God without dying. Just as Moses was sheltered in uh, we stood on the rock and was sheltered in the crevice of the rock. The Israelites were sheltered under the blood of the sacrifices. And we today stand on Christ the solid rock, and we are sheltered by the blood of the Lamb. And as part of that, we too get the privilege of being able to experience and see God's glory and his good goodness lived out in our lives and the world around us. And Leviticus is the key to understanding everything that Jesus did in the New Testament, he, it is the key to understanding that, his, God's glory and goodness, uh, because Jesus did not simply come to die on the cross for our sins. That was just one of the sacrifices that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament. You remember there was the, uh, not just the, the sin offering, but there was the bird offering that appeased God's righteous anger towards sin. And then there was the, the grain offering. And the grain offering was incredible because Adam and Eve sold their dependency on God and, and bought something far less valuable. They, they sacrificed dependence on God for independence. And the grain offering showed us that Jesus died so that we could regain our dependence on God who can provide for us far better than we can ever provide for ourselves. Amen? Jesus did that on the cross for us. And then also, Jesus is our peace offering, our fellowship offering. That's kind of the climax, and we're going to be talking about that again today. He brought fellowship between us and our Lord, our maker. It's an amazing thing. 
And so anyways, I hope you have opened up to the book of Leviticus and specifically chapter 26. And I like this chapter because it, it, it starts to flesh out a little bit what we talked about last week, that God was going to show his glory and his goodness to Israel. And in chapter 26, it starts to flesh out and show us specifically how God is going to do that. And I want you to hear, hear this is for Israel. Sometimes it's easy to look at Old Testament passages and there's principles underlying that apply to us today, but I don't want you to get confused and think that we can take all these blessings that God is talking about to Israel specifically and transfer them directly to us today, all right? So we just got to be a little bit careful as, as we read through that. So as you're getting uh, opened up to Leviticus chapter 26, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a, a story, something that happens at my house a lot of times. And this has probably happened at your house, either as a parent or as a child. But have you ever, specifically speaking to the parents, have you ever had one of those days where you're just kind of like, I want to I wanna do something awesome for my kids. I want to bless my kids. I just want to do fun. You know, for us being homeschooled, you know, we're at home a whole, whole lot. Eunice especially, she's at home and, and they get like cabin fever and they're ready to get out. You know, we're just like, we want to go out and do something fun. Me and as, as a dad, I'm like, yeah, that, you know, that excites me most of the time. You know what I'm talking about. There's the other side of that that's like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a lot of work. You know, a lot's got to get done for us to be able to actually go and have fun. Sometimes it's more work than just staying home, and so we won't do it a whole lot. But have you had those days where you're like, okay, you get the family together, and you're like, hey, guys, we're going to go to the beach, per se, all right? We're going to go to the beach today. We're going to go have fun. We're going to go get ice cream. We're going to eat out at restaurants and have ice cream, be at the beach, play in the water and splash around and fly the kite, you know, and I just describe this amazing day at the beach. And everybody's on board and they're all excited and they're like, yeah, we want to go to the beach, you know, and they're all excited. And then and all it is is like, okay, guys, we're going to go to the beach. Before we go to the beach, we got to like clean up some stuff. Because mama hates it when we got a messy house. There's nothing worse, I don't know why, for mamas to come home to a messy house. I've embraced messiness. Uh, you can come into my office and see. Pastor Tom has a much cleaner office than I do. I've embraced messiness. But, but it drives Eunice crazy. And so to keep, keep the, the house happy, the family happy, mainly Eunice happy, happy wife, happy life, right, uh, Pastor? Yep. Keep Eunice happy. You have to say, before we go, though, we got to clean up some stuff. Things start going south from there on. You know, it just isn't, everything that I imagined in this wonderful family day together just starts changing at that very moment when I'm like, but we got to do this first. And it starts off good. The kids, you know, they, they start, you know, they all disperse. They run and look really busy. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I go and I'm packing up in the van and getting ready to go. And I come back and I'm like, this looks the exact same way as I just left it. It totally boggles my mind, like 10 or 15 minutes later. It's the exact same as I left it. And so, I, you know, I'm like, come on, girls, you know, let's go jump in there. We got to get this done. We got we to gotta clean up so we can go to the beach. And so they, you know, they all scatter and start looking really busy and busy, and I disappear, and then I come back later. And it still looks the exact same way as the first time as when I left. My mood starts noticeably changing. The, the tone of my voice grows deeper and more authoritative. I'm not going to say I yell, but it might be borderline. I started getting like really upset with my girls saying, girls, we are going to the beach. 
Why can't you just pick up this stupid stuff? Pick it up, you know, just grab it, put it up, you know. So then I go away and I come back again and, and sh- you know, I find, and this really drives me nuts, instead of picking up the toys I asked them to pick up, they're over there like Nora found some Legos and instead of putting them up, she's like building, her, she loves Legos, she starts building Legos. And I'm like, I want to bring you to the beach and you're playing with the Legos? Come on, like focus, focus, focus. I go, uh, the girls, they make these elaborate doll sets. They, they play with dolls, and they make these tea parties, and they cut out these, you know, nice little, uh, I don't know what you call them, little decorations and stuff for the tables. They put out the cups. I mean, it's intricate, it's immaculate, and as lifelike as you can possibly make it. They can do that, but when I ask them to pick up a doll off the floor, walk across the living room, and stick it into the bin, they can't physically do it. Abigail, it's just kind of like, she's crying at this point. Oh, I can't pick it up, you know, and she's holding this little tiny doll, you know, that we could throw around so easily, and she's like, oh, you know, and crying, and and I have to like physically go and pick it up, and like, this is how you pick up a doll, and you go and put it away, and then like, by the time the house is cleaned up, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon, the beach day is shot, I'm angry, they're frustrated and crying, it's just like, it just totally ruins the whole day. I tell you all of that because that, in short, is exactly what is happening in this passage that we're, we're going to read right here in Leviticus chapter 26. God is describing the day at the beach. He is describing something incredible. He's like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. But before we do that, we just got to keep things, we got to clean up. We got to keep things in the family moving smoothly here. There's just a couple of things that we got to do because I want to bless you. I want to show you who I am, that I am a good daddy. That's what God wants to do. All right, y'all tracking with me? All right, Leviticus chapters 26, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13, starting off. Starting in verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figure of stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, here comes the day at the beach. We're going to come back to that first cleanup section in a second, but now he's describing the day at the beach. If you walk in my statutes, observe my commands and do them, then I will give you rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full. Amen, all you gluten lovers out there? Yeah, eat your gluten to the full. And dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. That's how much they're going to have. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you erect. 
wow, amazing. This is God demonstrating his goodness through blessing to Israel. He's just like pouring it out on them. He's lavishing it. Now, this, again, there's some cultural differences, geographical differences. If I was going to talk to you about blessing or tell the teens, like if I showed up on Wednesday night and was like, hey, guys, uh, your trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Halo, would you give me an amen? No, she wouldn't amen it. She's not even amen it now. She's like, no way. What's, what on earth? Who cares about your free, fruit, you know, barren trees? That's no, not cool at all. You know, if I use this same terminology today, it, it kind of gets lost on us in translation quite a bit. But imagine if I, where's Steve Carey at? There's Steve Carey. Steve, if I could guarantee you that you would have rain and rain at the perfect time, and that your crops would yield their harvest, guaranteed in due season, and you had plenty and more than enough, and all your cows would produce milk, if I could guarantee that to you, how much would that be worth to a farmer? yeah, Yeah, it's priceless. That's a priceless. When your livelihood depends on these things, you're just like, whoa. God is just like, I mean, for a farmer, for, you know, this kind of, you know, farming society, you're just like, wow, God is knocking my socks off here. Not only that, not only is he saying, I'm going to give you prosperity, you're going to be blown away with this, this food and the produce that is going to come all year long and the rain and their seasons to make that work. He says, I'm going to give you prosperity and I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you peace. No fear. There's no one that's going to cause you to be afraid. I live in America, one of the safest countries in the world, which I'm so thankful for, but I still wake up in the night afraid. Yes, I know. We've talked about this. I'm afraid of the dark. I know I'm a little sissy, but I hear bumps and things go in the night, and it makes me afraid, and I lose sleep over that as a father. I'm worried. I'm concerned. I get up, and I go, check it out, because I don't want there to be something bad out there. I lose sleep. It affects me, but God is saying, guys, this is your day at the beach. I am going to give you peace. I'm going to give you rest. You do not need to be afraid, because I am your God. He says, yes, the beasts and the enemies do exist. But God takes care of them. He takes the beasts out, and he says these enemies will be removed. Five, I can't remember the exact numbers. Five uh, shall chase 100, and, and uh, was it 100? I'm totally butchering this. 100 of you shall chase 10,000. I mean, this, we actually have stories in the Old Testament. I mean, Samson, you could go on, and the Bible talks about men of renown who actually did this stuff, these feats of valor on the battlefield. The beasts were there, the enemies were there, but they didn't cause them fear because God was with them. You think peace is something to, we can't, we can't put a value on peace. We pay how much? I'm not trying to make any political statements, but to the UN, to other countries, trying to just promote peace. You want to know how much peace is worth? Ask the people in Hawaii who had that, that did you hear about that? That ballistic missile, oops, accidentally pushed the ballistic missile incoming button. And so everybody got that warning in Hawaii yesterday and thought their lives were about to die. Ask them how much, when they thought that ballistic missile was coming in, how much peace was worth to them. They would have given everything for that peace. Everything. And that's what God is offering them. He's offering them everything. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you prosperity. Keep it in context. This is to Israel. I'm giving you prosperity and I'm going to give you peace and now, it's kind of like at Christmas time. We were talking about this with the teens. What order do you usually open up your gifts when you open up gifts around with a family? Do you start with the big ones or do you start with the small ones? Some of you are probably weird and start with big ones. My family, or, you know, and I think growing up, we started with the small ones. You don't want to open the big one first and then it'll be like, yay, and then it's all like downhill. You're like, uh, uh, uh. That's lame. You give the little kids the, 
the, the smallest ones and you work up to the big ones. And that's what God is doing in this passage. He's like, I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm not trying to order peace and prosperity. My point is on the last one. He's like, I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to give you peace. But those are kind of, kind of small compared to this next one, this whopper that he's going to offer them. And the, last, the, the third one that he offers, he's like, I am going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to make my dwelling among you. This is God pursuing his people. He never stops. This guy's unstoppable. He's pursuing his people. I'm going to make my presence among you. I'm going to walk among you and be your God, and you are going to be my people. You know, this, this blew me the way the first time I like, started wrapping my mind around it. But we always think about, you know, after we die, we go to heaven. That's where we're going to live for eternity. But we're not. I mean, I hope you, we are. We're going to heaven. You know, in that kind of terminology, I, I hope we all go to heaven kind of thing. But heaven is not where we're going to be for an eternity. We're going to be in the new earth that God makes for us. I don't understand heaven. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around heaven. But an earth, a new earth without sin, I can imagine. And God says that he is going to come down and make his dwelling among us. He continues to pursue his people to the end of days. God is coming down to us. He is pursuing us because he loves us. And it brings him glory to be with his children and give good things, prosperity and peace, and to have his presence with us. It is an amazing gift. And it all culminates from the prosperity to the peace to ultimately the presence of God that he is, he is willing to give to the Israelites. The best part of the beach should be, isn't, isn't the beach. The best part of going to the beach with my family is the family. You might disagree sometimes. You might just want to go to the beach without your kids. <laughs> but really, isn't it, isn't it about going with your family being there as a family, and not just going to the beach. And that's what God is saying here. My presence is going to be with you. That is the best part. And like Moses said, we talked about it last week, Moses said, I don't want the promised land unless you are there. I'm not leaving without you. I'm not leaving without you. That's the best part. And that's what God is offering as part of his glory and his goodness to Israel is his presence. Psalm 73, 28 says this, But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell all about you do. But as for me, God's presence is my good. Sounds kind of like a lame verse at first. When you read it, just God's presence is my good. Because we never think good is not that good of a word. It's just plain. It's good. But the word, the Hebrew word here for good is Tob. Help me if I pronounce it incorrectly, Pastor. He's way better at words than I am. I believe it's pronounced Tob. And this is the same word that goes all the way back into the Genesis 1. At the end of each day of creation, God says it is good. How would you describe all the birds and all, everything that flies? How would you describe the stars and the sun and the water and the animals? How do you describe all of creation in this, this one word as being good? And then at the same time, coming over to this verse, and it says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. You're saying God's presence isn't just my good. It is my, it is my everything. 
This is everything that is good is wrapped up into this one thing, which is God's presence that he is offering to me. It is not to stretch to say that God's presence is my everything. You are my good and you are my world. I'm not going anywhere without you. Not going anywhere without you. So let's get to the house cleaning part. God says, before going to the beach, figuratively speaking, he says, let's clean house. Going back to verse 1 through 3, he says, you shall not make idols for yourselves or an erect an image of a pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. I want to be very clear in saying that this first couple of verses is not describing the terms of salvation. Israel was already chosen by God, rescued from bondage and the yoke of slavery out of Egypt far, way longer before this ever happened. Uh, God is not giving these rules as a condition of relationship, but as a result of relationship to protect it. We don't have a lot to do with our salvation, and that's a very, very, very good thing. But we do have a lot to do with the quality of our relationship after we are saved. There are not a lot of if yous in salvation. God's not like, if you do this, this, and this, and this, and this, you will be saved. The only thing is it says, one, if you believe and confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's the one. There's not a whole lot of if and use when it comes to salvation, but when describing the quality of the relationship that God wants to have with us in the future, it has a, a lot of it does depend on us. Not much, but a little bit more, a lot more than salvation. In this passage, it says, if you, 11 times. If you, 11 times. That tells me that we have something to do with this. But then it says, I will, 28 times. We're doing a little, God's doing a whole, whole lot. All right, so this is talking about the quality of our relationship. After we are, we are saved and rescued by God, we are his children. What do we need to do to make sure that's running smoothly? Same way at our, at our home. Before we go to, you know, and experience all this goodness, what do we do, need to do at home to make sure that things are running smoothly and that there, there is a relationship? And so as a condition for these blessings, God has asked for the same thing that parents hope to have with their children, a good relationship. I don't know about you, but I have never given a gift to someone that I have hoped would replace my relationship with them. That makes sense? Have you ever given a gift where you're like, here you go, hope to never see you again? That's kind of lame. Maybe with your in-laws. I don't know who you do that with. No, I got good in-laws just for the record. We don't give gifts in order to break a relationship. We give gifts in order to deepen and further the relationship. We can give gifts so that we can, we can know that person better. I, I've used this illustration before with a doll. If I gave a doll to my kids and they started talking to that doll all the time and played with that doll more than me, everybody would say, there's a problem, right? And that's where we get the term idolatry. Is I, that doll has taken the place of a relationship. That gift has taken the place of a relationship. And that's what God is saying here. It's like, no idolatry. Don't worship anything else more than me. Don't have anything else in a higher priority in your relationship than with me. Generally, we don't have little man-made idols. What we have are things that God made for us 
that he blessed us with. He gave them to us with intention that they shouldn't be enjoyed, but we warp them and turn them into something that God has never intended them. Instead of drawing us closer to God, we spend all our time with that created thing. Same thing when I say when I asked the girls to clean up, I offered them a day at the beach with me, and I find Nora playing with those Legos instead. I'm like, Nora, you totally lost the point, didn't she? You totally lost the point. I think C.S. Lewis was talking about a little kid who was playing in the mud in his backyard when God was asking us to go to the beach. There's the ocean and the beach and everything in the front yard. He's just like, follow me. And yet we're just so content playing in the mud in our tiny little worlds that we're happy and content with. And we don't realize the fullness of what God is offering outside of our own little bubbles that we have created, that we feel safe and secure inside of. Don't do the idolatry thing. Clean up the house. You listen to me. Don't get so distracted by those things that you don't listen when we need to address things and clean up. God isn't really asking for a whole lot here, is he? But he's given us everything. He's given us the world. Now, it's really easy. I'm going to stop here for a second because the tension is going to build in this passage. And it's going to get extremely uncomfortable. And I, didn't, I was debating on whether even going to the second part. But I think beauty in Scripture is when we wrestle with tension that we're not comfortable with in our own lives. And, and I think that's true in this passage. We're going we're to mention a verse in here that I was like, this has got to be one of the worst verses talking about in Scripture. It just seems, it seems horrid. But prefacing that a little bit, I want to say that it is easy to talk about God's goodness when it is in the context of being present in his goodness, right? It's, it's, easy, it's easy to talk about God's goodness when it is present in his blessings to us, isn't it? We all love talking about God like that. There's some televangelists who make millions of dollars telling people about that part of God's, you know, about God's goodness and his blessing to Israel. And he wants to do that for us today, and he wants you all to be, you know, healthy and wealthy and prosperous. What they don't like to talk about is the second part of this passage that God's talking to Israel. And I want you to, if you write down something, I want, this is what really hit me, is that God's glory and his goodness is just as present in his discipline as it is in his blessing. God's goodness, his glory and his goodness, is just as present in his discipline as it is in his blessing. You know, read just some highlights. We don't have enough time to read through the whole rest of this passage here, but I'm going to highlight a couple of things that make me very uncomfortable reading through the book of Leviticus, and also is another reason I think we don't like to read through Leviticus. Starting in verse 14, this section goes from verse 14 to verse 39. So God has said all this stuff of, if you do this one little thing, help clean up house, we're going to the beach, and right after that, he's saying, but if you do not listen, this is the part when I start yelling at my kids and saying, girls, if you don't listen and obey, this whole day is going to stop being about my blessings, and my presence is going to start being about your discipline and correction, right? It changes a lot, the nature of our relationship, and it is here too. God's saying in verse 14, but if you will not listen to me, and you need to underline that because God keeps saying the same phrase, I think it was five different times, but if you do not listen. There's almost like five different levels to this correction that he's given them. But if you will not listen to me and, do all, and not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and you abhor, your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. 
I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. You shall sow your seed in vain, and your, and your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. That's just level one. There's level two that gets a little bit second song, second verse, all right, first song, second verse, a little bit softer, a little bit worse. Have you ever heard that? Maybe it's just me. A little bit softer and a little bit worse. God, he's, he's each verse that he's saying, if you continue to do not listen, this is not getting better. This is getting worse. I'm going to skip over level two that starts in verse 18. Let's see, level two, where's level three? I think, I, here we go. Level three, verse 21, it says, Then you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me. I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts again, which, you shall, uh, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in num- number so that your roads shall be deserted. Now comes level four. And if by this discipline... You are not turned to me, but you continue to walk contrary to me. You see this attitude. They're not learning. They keep doing the same thing. And just as we as parents, you know, keep up on the punishment slowly, God is trying to get their attention, starting the easiest way he can by promising them the blessing and the relationship. But if you cannot listen, if you don't listen, you're going to be punished. Level four. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, this is verse 23 and 24, then I will also walk contrary to you strike you sevenfold for your sins and bring sword upon you and shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, 10 women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. I was reading a, a, a pastor, I think it was Bob Diffenbaugh was his name, out of, out of Texas, and he did a really good series on Leviticus. And uh, I thought Pastor Tom would appreciate this. He said there was those three things of blessing that God gave them in the first section. He gave them prosperity, peace, and presence. I'm going to give you a challenge here, Pastor Tom. He said on this side, when he's disciplining them, he instead is replacing that with poverty, peril, and absence. I was like, Pastor Tom is never going to be able to focus for the whole rest of the message if I can't find a P to connect as the opposite. Prosperity to poverty, peace to peril, presence to absence. I was like, what is another word for absence that starts with a P? Can you tell me, Pastor, please? Because this drove me nuts. I asked Connie about it. We were on the thesaurus online. We were going all through stuff. And I was, it was sad how much time I spent this week. Yeah. And you pay me for this too. Looking for absence that started with a P. And it took me a while. And the more I thought about it, I was like, this guy has some amazing stuff in his sermons on Leviticus. And I stole tons of it from him. But I was like, I think he got this one wrong. I think he got this one wrong. I want you to hear this. God's didn't go from presence to absence when they sinned. He went from presence to presence. God is just as present in his discipline. He is just as good and glorified in his discipline as he is in his blessing. God's glory and goodness is just as present in his discipline as it is in his blessing. 
In this passage, in, just the, in this whole chapter, God says, I will, 28 times. That shows me that he is present somewhere where he is doing something. Six of those times were when he was talking about the blessings. Eighteen of those times is when he was talking about discipline. God is present in his discipline. God's goodness is just as present in his discipline as it is in his blessing. And you're like, how can you say that when you're reading this passage? That sounds so, it sounds so contrary when we look at it. There's tension. How can we say God is good when, he, when he's sending pestilence and beasts and all these horrible things? They're in poverty as people that he cares for, that he's loved. These horrible things are happening. This makes God seem harsh. It makes God seem ruthless. It makes God seem vindictive. But I have to say that God, if God seems to be any of those things in this passage, it's only because we have failed to see the depth and depravity of our sin and have grossly underestimated the danger that lies in following our own path. It's not God's failure. It's our failure. One of the verses I was telling you about earlier that I absolutely, I just read it, and as a father, it just seemed appalling to me. In verse 29, I think it was, it says, this is part... This is, this is not God disciplining them. He is not prescribing this as a discipline. This is the result of the path that they set themselves on when they decided to disobey God and go their own way. This is where it led to. Verse 29, it says, You shall eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Horrible thing. Nothing worse I can imagine. There's something worse than death. This would be it. I can't imagine that. Horrible thing. And God's saying, God's saying, this is where your sin leads you. You think the stuff that I'm doing is bad? Where you're going is the worst. And I'm going to do everything I can to get you off that path and get you back to the beach in my presence. That's how much God loves us. Is he, he's willing to do anything. Anything. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. Amen? If Abigail was running the road, and I saw her running the road, and I saw that big semi coming down the road, and I see her future, I see where the path is leading her, and I did not do anything, you would say, you are not a good father. If I, if I didn't you know, if I had a basketball in my hand, she's running. I have no way I can run as fast as, you know, as I used to. If I threw the basketball and hit her down, some of you who didn't see the truck come and be like, ooh, you are a bad daddy. You just leveled your daughter with a basketball. You know, what kind of daddy are you? But they never saw the truck coming. If I ran after her and I did finally catch up with her and I had to dive and the full weight of my 250-pound frame came on top of Abigail, it would certainly hurt her. And she'd be like, what are you doing? But it's worth it to stop her from going somewhere that would cause her so much pain. I'll do anything to, to protect my kids from that road and that path. And God's saying the same thing. He is just, I almost say more present. I think I have to pull that back and say he's just as present in his discipline as he is in his blessing. Just as present. So it is out of God's goodness and his grace that he not only blesses when we are good, but disciplines when, when we are off track.
lost my spot in my notes here. That might be good news for you guys. <laughs> you all these notes? This is why I get lost. Four, two, three. I'm going to start over at the beginning, Vern. <laughs> You're right. Feel free to dogpile Vern at the exit over there. There's page five. There it is. A couple of passages real quick, and I'll try to wrap this up. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son for uh, whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have endured, uh, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And skipping down in Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, for the, uh, actually verse 10, it says, for, the dis- for they disciplined us for a short time, talking about our fathers, as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may, we may share in his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful. I've never put my kids in timeout or took, taken away treats or movies. You know, it's, it's like we do all these different things. And it's funny, like even just timeout, go to your room for five minutes. For us, we're just like, that's no big deal. But they're like, oh, you know, they're just like, I killed them or something. It's, it's like all discipline seems horrid, horrendous, but the discipline is never as bad as where our sin, the path of sin takes us, never as bad. And as a good father that intervenes and is very present in our discipline, and it actually would be an uncaring and one of the most hateful things for a parent to pull back and not discipline their kids. Most hateful thing. I had some friends back in Arizona, and they raised their kids with kind of this freestyle kind of thing where they didn't discipline at all. And the kid was, well, I'm not going to strive him in church. He wasn't a cool kid to hang out with. Okay. He was bad, awful. And actually it was kind of funny. He ended up stealing, this is in high school. Don't do this. This is horrible. He stole a beer truck in high school and drove it down to Sedona, Arizona and drank beer all day. That's the kind of stuff this kid was doing. You're just like, what are you thinking in high school? So that's, the bad path, obviously. I'm not prescribing this at all. God disciplines those he loves. God's disciplines those he's loved. And I want to make this very clear. Sometimes when we don't see God's blessings in our life, we immediately jump to the conclusion that God isn't there and he's not real and he's not present. And I think that's because we would rather him not be there than to see him disciplining us. We have to admit, we have to acknowledge that we need discipline. It's way easier to see God's blessings and we'd rather him not be there than to admit that maybe God is trying to teach us. Maybe, maybe that discipline isn't always like punishment. Discipline is, is correction, getting you on the right road, and discipline is sometimes growth. It's one of those two things. And those are hard places in life to be. We like to glorify God for his, his blessings all the time, but my encouragement for you as a result of talking about this passion of Leviticus is how can we praise God in the discipline? Because he disciplines those he loves. And pretty much everything we have hard in our life is God disciplining us. And we can praise him for it. Because it doesn't mean that he's gone and he's left. It means he is right there present. Rescuing us from a path that leads to destruction. He is there because he loves us. Last verse, and I promise I'll close in prayer. 
Hebrews 11.6. Since I kind of left you on the downer of, a, of the whole discipline thing, I thought it'll leave you on an upper with Hebrew 11.6. Hebrew 11.6 says this, and without faith it is impossible to please him. We all know that verse, right? Without faith, faith is impossible to please God. And it says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's the first thing that we have to remember that God exists, and then it says, the second thing blew me away. It says, the next thing we have to remember is that he rewards those who seek him. Amen? He rewards those. Does it matter to see God's goodness blessing? Yes, it does. Does it matter to see God's goodness in his discipline? Yes, it does, because ultimately, you know, ultimately God's goodness is shown in his forgiveness. We, we deserve to have that whole passage of, live in that passage of a uh, Leviticus, uh, was it 14 through 39? But by God's grace and through his discipline, his mercy in our lives, he forgave us and offers us, us eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord.